welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Welcome. So excited to be able to speak this weekend as we get to wrap up red letter questions. Um, I'm always inspired when we dive into the words of Jesus. And I love reading scripture. I love, I love going through all of scripture. But something hits me every time I get to the words of Jesus. Um, it, it's just amazing. I love that, that even as, as uh, John talks about, John chapter 1 verse 14, it says, The word became flesh. And I don't know if you're like me, but I like an example, all right? There's not very many times where I learn everything when someone tells me. I probably should, but it doesn't work that way. The way that I learn is I love love an example, and that's what Jesus is in our lives. As we talk about following Christ, as we talk even about diving into Scripture, um, it's, it's this verbal communication finally became a physical example. And for those of us who call ourselves Christians, uh, that means we are Christ-like. And all of a sudden there's this example and I'm inspired. I I love diving into the words of Jesus. And that's what we get to do today. We get to dive in and finish up this series called Red Letter Questions. And today we're actually going to be hanging out in Mark chapter 9. So you can open there if you want or get there on your your app, whatever it may be. Um, That's where we're going to be for most of the time. But it's actually a perfect segue. It's a great way to wrap up our series. Last week, we talked about the question, who do people say that I am? And then the question to the disciples right after that, who do you say that I am? So Jesus is looking at his disciples in this moment and saying, all right, who do people say that I am? And who do you say that I am? And thank God Peter got it right. Uh, Peter says, uh, you're the Messiah. And he, he goes in and we talked about that last week. If you missed it, I encourage you, go online, find it, um, watch it, watch through all of these. It's always amazing. I love what happens in everybody's lives when they just dive into the words of Jesus. So today, that perfect segue, uh, after we found out who is Jesus, who really is he, not just a, not just a teacher, but the Messiah, Um, the question of today is, do you believe I can do this? And it's found in Mark chapter nine. So if you want to dive into that Mark chapter or Matthew chapter nine, I said, Mark, that's wrong. Matthew, for those of you that are flipping back on over Matthew chapter nine, um, verse 27 through 30 says this, as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, The blind men came to him and asked them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. That's the question. We're going to pause there for even just a second. Do you believe that I can do this? So they follow him into a room, indoors, into a building somewhere. And I can only imagine their their faces. Okay, so they're going in. 
They, they finally get access to Jesus. They're there and they're like, have mercy on us, son of David. And the first question he asks them is, do you really believe that I can do this? Do I have the ability? Do I have, can I do this in your life? It's an interesting moment. I, I can't imagine that they were about or expecting that they were about to be quizzed by the person that they were asking, but that's what it is. Yes, Lord, they replied as it continues on. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. This is an amazing story and we're going to dive into it even more because I think there's more to it when we unpack it and when we, we really dive into it. But to give you a little bit of background, even on, on the book of Matthew, the book of Matthew is known as one of the synoptic gospels. The first four books of the Bible are called the gospels. They're the story of Jesus Christ and his life on earth. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptic gospels. The reason they are is because they share a lot of the same stories. They're different viewpoints and angles at the same stories. John is a gospel, but it is, there's, much, there's, there's a bunch of content uh, that's not found in the other books about Jesus' life, so it's not exactly the same as the other three. Why do I tell you that? Because there's two groups of people in the room right now. One group, I said synoptic gospels, and you were like, hey, I know what that is. The other group was like, synopta what? Um, that's because you haven't gone through alpha yet. And I totally just set you up. All right? So I will say this to you. Uh, honestly, as, as Pastor Davey even said earlier, there's a table in the lobby. If you haven't gone through Alpha, we really do encourage you to do so. It's an amazing opportunity, not just to, to hear about some foundational issues, but for you to be able to understand and explain what you believe. Please, please take time to go through Alpha. You can sign up in the lobby or even online if you're watching online. You can go right there to our own website that you're in and sign up online. So let's get back into Matthew, though. All right, so the, the book of Matthew is broken up into, into chunks. The way that he writes his gospel, um, he's got specific points to each, to each part of his book. The first part of his book, he starts with the lineage of Jesus. The first, the first part, the first chapter, uh, not the whole chapter, but part of the first chapter, he talks about all of these father of and the son of and this person was the father of this person. And it goes all the way through the lineage up until Jesus, which is extremely important. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Then he goes into the Sermon on the Mountain. It's Jesus teaching. And throughout this, he's calling his disciples. And then he goes into this chunk of scripture where Jesus is, is healing people. It's a miracle after miracle after miracle that we get to see in the book of Matthew, and it's absolutely amazing. And the reason I think sometimes this story, as incredible as it is, gets looked over is because this story is actually at the end of those chunks of miracles. Some amazing things have happened throughout Matthew, and this is the last thing before he turns into, and he, and he sends his disciples out with the, with the authority to heal and the authority to cast out spirits and, and says, it's now your turn to go, but it's right there kind of tucked in. Right before we see this story, um, there's a ruler that comes up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, my daughter has just died, but I know that if you're there and you lay a hand on her, that she will live again. Will you please come to my house? So Jesus and his disciples, they start, they start going and this crowd is gathering and, and people are, are coming around. And um, in the midst of that crowd is where the woman with the issue of blood, so many of us have heard that story, Pastor Rob referenced it even last week, where she presses through the crowd and just touches the hem of Jesus' garment. And um, Jesus says, who touched me? Another red letter question. He says, I felt power go out from me. And he turns around and sees this woman there and says, your faith has made you well. 
So that story has happened right before this. He continues on his way and, and the, the funeral type procession is going on and there's, it says that there's, there's flutes and there's, um, there's instruments happening and there's a crowd and there's noise and he says, guys, be quiet. She's not dead. She's just sleeping. And I can only imagine the crowd in that moment is like, Jesus, we've been here for a while. We know what's happened. We know you just showed up. Let me tell you. And he's like, no, no, no. Sends them all away, walks in, grabs her by the hand and she's raised from the dead in that moment. So it's just miraculous, incredible things that Jesus is doing that's happening. This crowd is gathered. And immediately after that, that actually passage, it ends with these words. It says, word spread through the region about the miracles that he's done. And that's where we actually pick up, <coughs> excuse me, in verse 27 where it says, as he went up from there, the two blind men followed him. So that's what, what they had placed themselves in the middle of. So my very first very first thing that I realized even about this before I got into the story that we're talking about today was you realize that they have experienced or before they experienced the miraculous um, they were able to be around and experience miracles already before they received their miracle they had experienced the miraculous so my question to you before we even dive into this question is this where do you need to go where do you need to place yourself to be in the presence of the miraculous where do you need to step out by faith and go after, go after God and say, and stretch your faith so that he can show up and do the miraculous? He can't do the miraculous until you take the step of faith to get into the presence of where he is. Where do you need to go? Where is God calling you to? The very first act of faith in this story is that these guys pursued Jesus. They went after him knowing that their miracle was a possibility and they went after him and they pursued Jesus. They didn't just hang out around him. They didn't just hang out in the crowd. Yes, Jesus could have turned to him and said, there's somebody here in the crowd that needs to be healed today. And he would have known. Yes, he had the ability to do it, but they understood that proximity does not equal pursuit. And there's a lot of people right now, I believe, in Christian churches across America that are sitting in Christian churches saying, man, we're here. I wish God would just show up. But they don't realize that proximity does not equal pursuit. It's not about just hanging out around other Christians. It's not just about hanging out around church. It's about pursuing Christ in your life and going to the places that he is, going to the places that he's leading you to be. Where do you need to go in your life to experience your miracle? I do believe that God can turn and he can heal no matter what. But I also believe this. I believe that your physical situation is not as important to him as your spiritual condition. And it's not about their physical condition. It's not about their, the, the, the blindness they, they needed healed. It's actually a story about their, their spiritual condition. The fact that they pursued Christ and they, and they showed up and they went after him. There's a story um, in my own life where I was forced, called, if you will, to step out in faith. At a previous job, um, I was called to ad address a situation in leadership. It wasn't a situation that, that I had done, but it was a situation that, that God had made me aware of. And he said, Brandon, I need you to address this moment. And I'll be honest with you, the week leading up to it was the worst week of my life. Everything in me was, was churning. I couldn't sleep. I knew that God had called me to do it. But I also knew that, that if I were to address this situation, um, my job could be on the line. Uh, I had a house. I had kids. I had a wife. There's a mortgage payment involved. And all of this is running through my mind. And I was like, God, I don't know if I can do this. And what became real to me in that moment was all of the things that I was struggling with were physical. My house, 
even my family, all of that, my, 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 my marriage, the, the, all of that, what I was worried about was would I still have the finances to take care of all of these things? All of what I was worrying about was physical and God called me to step out into the spiritual and said, see if I am your source. Do you have the faith to do what I have called you to do? What's amazing is the whole situation, while it was tumultuous, while it was, while it was a struggle, while it was still one of those moments where, where physically it was probably the toughest season of my life, I will say this, spiritually it was one of the strongest seasons of my life. Because it had nothing to do with the physical realm, I knew that I had no control over that. But I knew that I was exactly where I was supposed to be, because not just because of my proximity, but because of my pursuit to do what God had called me to do. And I think there's things where, where we have to step out. I believe that God is calling us to step out and just and, and do away with the physical fears. Fear is so powerful in so many of our lives. Fear is holding us back from what God is calling us to do. I can only imagine these guys are, are about to follow Jesus into a room, into indoors. It's one thing if he's outside and you see somebody who's attained celebrity status and there's, there's crowds that are following around. To be a part of the crowd isn't that big of a deal. But to follow him indoors, I can only imagine had to push past some people, namely Peter, I would imagine, um, to get close to Jesus. But in that moment... They didn't allow their physical fears or what may happen to stop them from getting into their breakthrough. And I would say this, don't let your physical fear limit your spiritual growth. Don't let your physical fear limit your spiritual growth. God has more for you. God is calling you to stretch your faith. God is calling you out into something so that you can step out so that he can not just touch your physical situation, but your spiritual situation. But so often the fear of our physical holds us back from that. The question really comes down to, do you really believe that God is your source? That was the question I had to answer in my own moment is, is do I believe that God is going to show up in my physical needs? And even in that moment, I was reminded of a story of my grandpa. I loved my grandpa. He passed away when I was a freshman in college, but was just an amazing man of faith. Was actually a, a farmer in South Dakota, all right? And um, was one of those guys, though, that... that I feel like God should have called him to be a pastor. The faith that he had, the stories that he had were, were absolutely amazing, even as, as a farmer. And I, I would love to just sit and hear the stories as he would talk about what God did in his life. And I remember hearing the story of every spring when he would plant his field. He'd plant his field and then he would turn around and he would pray over his field and he would say something along the lines of this. He would say, God, I've done everything I know how to do to the best of my ability. From here on out, it's completely in your hands. He knew that, that he could plant seeds. He knew that he could plow fields. He knew that, that he could take care of it, all that, all that he knew how to do. But God still had to make things grow. And he would say, God, you know that I'm good for, for whatever. You know that I, I, I believe firmly that you are my source and that you will take care of my family. You can either do it by blessing this field or by some other way. But I know that, it's in, I know that you'll bless me in the, in the midst of this. I know that you are my source. And then he'd go and plant the other field. And I remember thinking about that faith and, and like, man, how awesome is it that you could stand there and say, God, even if this field doesn't work, even if my physical work doesn't work, I still believe in you. And all that you have, I know that you are still my source. And that's exactly what they're saying as we dive into this story now is, is they're understanding that Jesus is their source. And we know this because they start right away when they say, have mercy on us, son of David. Have mercy on us, son of David. Why would they have called him son of David? And I remember even as a child, 
how confusing this was at Easter when people were laying palm branches and you'd always hear about son of David. And as a kid, it was only three months ago at Christmas when we were talking about Mary and Joseph and David wasn't anywhere near the story. And I was like, it's not even his dad. What are we talking about here? Part of the reason though, that, that Matthew is, is, talks about son of David so much and, and why he starts his gospel with the lineage of Jesus. I said we'd come back to that. It's because even the prophecies at the time would have said that the Messiah would come from the line of David. The reason that Matthew starts by saying, here's the lineage that comes up to Jesus is because David is in there. David is a part of it proving that he is of the lineage of the Messiah. He's already fulfilling prophecy before he's even born because of the lineage that he's in. They're actually coming up to him saying, first and foremost, I know who you are. I know who you are. Have mercy on us. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. As they're pursuing Jesus then, as they, as they say this, as they, they say in their lives, we know who you are, we know you're the Christ, that's where he turns and asks them the question, do you truly believe? Do you truly believe that I can do this? Which begs to ask the question, why, why would he turn and ask, do you believe I can do this? They've, they've experienced, they've witnessed in previous stories, I would say, they saw, or in previous sermons, I said last night, they, they saw the miracles. They didn't, they were blind. They experienced them. Um, they experienced the miracles before. Why, then they walk in and they say, son of David, we know you are the Christ. Why would he turn and say, do you think that I can do this? Do you really believe that I'm able to do this? Haven't they already admitted that? And that's where we realize that this question isn't even about the healing, it's about their faith. It's not about the healing, it's about do you have faith that I can do this, that I have the ability to do this? If God is your source, which for those of us that are Christians, we would all have answered that question the same, like of course, because we know the answer. But if God is your source, your pursuit is not for the healing, your pursuit is for the healer. And that's what Jesus was asking. Are you showing up just because you want some respite from your situation? Are you showing up just because you want a handout? You want what, what I've given to other people? You want to, to experience this in your life so that you can see and life would be a little bit easier? Or is your pursuit after me because I, you truly believe that I am the son of God? Is your pursuit after me because you truly believe that I am the Christ? He even says in his, in his response, he says, according to your faith. He's talking to them on a level of their faith and of their trust. Is your faith and trust in me or is it in just the healing? Is it in me? Because faith and trust is really where this all comes down to. Faith and trust is, is where, where this entire message, this entire conversation, brief conversation that he's having with these people, what it's all about. And we see that even in Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Where in our lives are we trusting God, not what we think is going to happen? It's beyond what we could imagine. It's beyond what's physically possible in the physical realm. But yet our trust in God drives us to go after it even more. That's what he's asking. Do you trust me enough? Do you trust me enough in this moment? Not just that I am, that I am who you say I am, but, but, or not just that I can do what you say I can do, but that I am who you say that I am. If you want your faith to rise up, in your life, if, if that's something that even in this moment, you're like, man, I need, some, I need more faith. 
I feel like God has called me to do more, but, but I'm sitting back and I don't just want to be, I don't just want to just hang out. I, I want to I pursue. I would encourage you to read, read Hebrews chapter 11, so often known as the faith chapter. Literally story after story where it's by faith this happened and by faith this person did this and by faith. And it starts with a definition of faith in Hebrews 11 chapter, or chapter 11 verse 1. It says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. The definition of faith. Sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. What is it in your life that you're currently hoping for that is God-sized? What in your life do you need to pursue, that you need to be certain of, that you can't see? That's the question. I I would even say this. If there's something there that you're like, man, I don't know. Part of that, I would say, is your faith. Step out in faith and say, God, where do I need to go? What's bigger than me? What is something that I physically can't do that gives me a little bit of physical fear and anxiety, but I step out so that I can stretch my faith? What is there in your life that is God-sized that you can be certain of that you need to step out into, even if other people are telling you, maybe that's not the best decision? I remember an early age, an influential age, I remember the moment that I was called into ministry. And I remember I was at... I was at Bible camp and um, it was summer camp. It was awesome. It was wonderful. But at one of those services, um, I, I remember clearly God calling me into ministry. And the next day I got up and I was all excited to tell my dad. And um, my, my dad at the time was actually over all of the, the youth pastors. He was a district youth director. So all of the camps and conventions for the state of Wisconsin and northern Michigan. So he's like pastor of pastors. And I figured he's going to be so excited. Like, here is my son following in the family business. This is great. So I remember walking in like, Dad, I feel like I'm called to ministry. And um, I wasn't met with the jubilee that I was hoping for. All right. I mean, he was happy, but I was like expecting like feast, like let's throw a party. Let's invite all your friends. There was a, I believe there was like a mini throne somewhere in my, in my mind. Um, it didn't happen that way. And instead, my dad starts asking me questions and quizzing me. Like, do you really know what ministry is all about? Do you really understand what, what this calling is? Do you really, are you sure that God is calling you there? Because it's not all, it's not all lights, it's not all microphones, it's not all stage, it's not all people looking at you. There's, there's a lot more. And he started going through stories um, of, of times where he's had, to, he's had to deal with different things. And all of a sudden I'm like shrinking back a little bit like, wait a second, that wasn't in my vision with the throne. I don't even see a throne. I don't know what's going on right now. And in the moment I remember stopping him and saying, Dad, I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt, last night God called me into ministry. And the smile that I was expecting the first time came over his face and he said, I always knew it. But if I could have talked you out of it, there's no way you would have lasted. And what he was testing in that moment was, was there enough faith? Was there enough trust in what God called me to do to go after it? Or was it just something where where it was emotional? And in that moment, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I was certain. I couldn't see it yet. I didn't know exactly what it looked for. There's never been a throne involved in it at all. But I was certain that God called me to do it. And in that moment, um, that's what he was testing. Not just did I hear, but did I have faith enough to pursue it? And I think that's what we need to go after in our lives is what is God calling us to pursue? What is, what, what in our lives, when we are in the presence of God, whether it's through prayer, whether it's through church, what is it that we leave here more boldly and excited to go after and pursue? What is God calling you to do? These two experienced miracles, um, they were around Jesus a lot that day. They were in the presence of Jesus a lot that day. 
But here's where the whole thing changed for me. As they dive into this, and I was, I was studying this, this verse in the scripture, here's where it changed. The emphasis in that sentence shifted from the can to the I. Two different things. Number one, do you think I can do this? That's saying, do you think I have the ability to do it? But when the emphasis is on the I, he's saying, do you think I can do this? That, the emphasis then comes to, have you given me the authority in your life? I think that's where the change and the shift happens is, is there's a lot of people who believe that Jesus has the ability to do things, but are there the same amount of people that have given Jesus the authority to do them in their lives? That's what this question is all about. That's where the faith and the trust comes in is have you given Jesus, the Lord and Savior, the authority in your life? We love Lord and Savior. We love that phrase. We say it a lot. Savior's really fun. Savior's great. Lord is a little bit tougher at times. But if we're willing to call Jesus Lord and Savior, we have to have both. We can't just say, we want you to be our Savior, but we really don't want you to have authority in my life. And that's what Jesus is asking in the moment to these men. I know that I have the ability. You know that I have the ability. You've experienced it. But are you giving me the authority to actually be this, the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior in your life? Amazingly, their answer was, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Are we okay with giving up complete control to Jesus? That's the question. In a world where, where trust at times seems like we don't like to trust anyone, and at other times we trust people too much. I mean, when you think about it, we, we talk about how we're in a culture here in America where, where we, we don't like to trust people and everyone has to prove it. Yet in the same sentence, in the same breath, we will jump in the in the backseat of a random person's car and have them take us to a location that we've never met them before, but we do it because we found them on this app called Uber. And somehow we trust that. We will literally open up our entire house to people and let them live in our home while we're out of town, but somehow that's completely fine because we found them on Airbnb. Like, there's an app that we have that we trust people and then allow them to take us to places that we've never been or, or even to, to live in our house or to go and live in their house. But yet for some reason we struggle so hard to give Christ the authority to trust him enough with our lives when he's the one who has created us and knows what's best in our lives even more than we could. When we try and hold on to our plans and our directions, we're actually short-sighting ourselves from what God has for us, but yet we struggle so often to give the authority and the trust in our lives to take us to where he would have us to go. Why do we even trust Uber and, and Airbnb? Because there's testimonies. Think about it. You pick someone on Uber because of the testimonies of other people saying, hey, they were timely, they showed up, they were well-dressed, their car was clean, it was a great experience, and you're like, okay, I'll use that one. In this moment and in this building, we have testimonies of the faith of God. And reasons that people aren't putting their faith and their authority in, in Christ could be because your testimony hasn't reached them yet. Where do you need to go so that your testimony is out there so that people can put their faith and their authority or give, give Christ the authority in their lives because of your testimony? So as we close here today, there's, there's two big scenarios. Number one, do you truly believe? Do you believe? 
Maybe you believe, but there's, there's that moment like Mark chapter 9 where, where the father says, I believe, but help my unbelief. You believe that he can, but you want to believe in who he is. And today is the moment where you can say, God, I give you all authority. I believe. I believe. Where in your life is God asking you that question? Do you believe that I am able to do this? Do you really believe that I can do this? Where are you praying in your life in routine and not in power? Where are you praying in your life and saying, God, I really hope that you show up, but then you go along your life on the, the way that you always have before. Where are you praying in power though and saying, God, I have faith. This is gonna change. Faith moves mountains. It has power. Where are you praying in, in power? Where is he saying, I need you to pray in power and I need you to stop praying in routine, but pray in power again. And once you have faith, where are you stretching it? These two men had enough faith to follow Jesus into a building. Where do you need to have enough faith to follow Jesus in this world? Where is he leading you? Where is he guiding you? He's still leading. Are you still following? Don't just get saved and then stagnant. Get faith and continue to go. Continue to go after what God has called you to do. God has more for you. God is not done. He's still moving. He's still going. And I believe that as we have faith, as we follow him in faith, our communities are going to change. Our workplaces are going to change. Our schools are going to change. Not just the physical makeup of it, but the spiritual makeup of it. Because when God shows up, when we show up full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit in these moments, God can do amazing things. These men left differently, not because they left with their sight. They left differently because they met the Messiah. And where do we need to go once we've met with the Messiah, been inspired and filled up with faith? Where is God calling you to go next? Where is it from this place that God is calling you to go? I believe. I believe that our world is going to change. I believe our communities can change. But it starts when Jesus asks us this question and we say, yes, Lord. Not just to my physical, but to my spiritual. And we follow with everything that God has for us. God, even today I pray. And I thank you for all that you are doing. As we close, I pray that you fill us with faith. I pray that as, as we submit to your authority, that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you would stretch us. God, we believe that you can. But even more so than that, that we believe in your ability, Lord God, we give you the authority to do so much more in our communities, in our schools, in our neighborhoods. God, in our lives. God, we believe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.